Can we talk something else? Can, can we talk about something else? Hello. Out there. Midnight, June 7th, 1995, Bald Knob, Arkansas, an unfortunate circumstance in an unfortunately named small town, local police are responding to a call from a distressed husband and father. His wife and 11-year-old daughter have been missing since midday. The mother works at a local tax office, so an officer drives over there and soon discovers her pickup truck parked at the side of the building. Again, this is just after midnight, and there's a sick feeling here. The officer knows it's not right when he finds the front door to the business unlocked. He next knows to call for help, as there's a half-naked, bound woman laying on the floor. This is 34-year-old Mary Phillips, a married mother of three. Her youngest daughter, Lacey, is in the bathroom. Both appear dead. There's blood everywhere. Mary is face down with her ankles bound and her hands tied behind her back. Her daughter is in a metal chair, bound in the bathroom in much the same way. The ligatures appear to be made of speaker wire and is wound impossibly tight around the arms and ankles of each victim. The mother, Mary, has been strangled to death with a cord from a coffee maker, a Mr. Coffee Maker. Like her daughter, she has been beaten badly. Both Mary and young Lacey wear masks of sticky, blackening blood. The lead investigator arrives swiftly and begins taking photographs. He documents the mother's situation first. It seems she was the primary target, as her bottom half is naked, signaling a likely rape. The 11-year-old appears to have been collateral damage. Wrong place. Wrong time. She seems to have been set aside in the bathroom while her mother was destroyed, then bludgeoned to death once the killer was through. And disgusting. This is a shocking crime for any place, let alone a small town of 2,000 or so. The detective snaps the pictures, trying not to think too much, just doing the job right, careful to document everything in these fresh moments following discovery of a crime scene less than 12 hours old. Less than 12 years old is the girl, he thinks, the girl whose eye opens right now, staring into the camera's lens, causing the seasoned detective's cool to freeze before snapping away. Welcome to Dark Topic. I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a true crime happening. Eye for an eye. Twelve years earlier, on the night of May 2nd, 1983, in a place far from Bald Knob, Arkansas, a 20-year-old student named Regina Harrison took a bike ride to the beach and never returned. Regina would be discovered dead in Hollywood, Florida's Westlake Park 
the evening after her disappearance. Her 10-speed bike, blue, her backpack, her clothing were strewn about near her body in a secluded section of the wooded area. The pretty, petite redhead, known to be sweet, devoutly religious, and trusting, had been raped before being strangled to death, then dumped in the depths of the remote Florida mangroves. Originally, Regina was believed to have been victim to a prolific rapist soon arrested in the area. Ronald Henry Stewart was suspected of nearly 20 rapes and had been found guilty of three. When he was accused of Regina Harrison's rape and murder, there was no evidence that he was guilty of it, but his lawyer advised him to confess and take a plea deal. The reasoning being that this fresh charge would do nothing to his current sentence. It would just tack on and be served concurrently with his rape sentencing. 50 years. All-inclusive. The admission assured that the prolific rapist would avoid a near-certain death sentence should he be taken to trial and convicted in the Regina Harrison case. It's quick housekeeping for the system. Justice for the victim family and shaky community. A case of everybody winning. Except future victims of the true killer, of course. In reality, Regina was the first known victim of a budding serial killer, a man who would confess to her murder three and a half decades later via letter after he'd been executed for his continued crimes. The confession would come too late for the rapist Ronald Stewart. He died of cancer in prison a decade earlier in the early 2000s. But we're not here to shed tears for a guy who is going to be locked up forever either way. We're here to wonder how many more were raped and strangled to death as a result of Regina's murder being pinned on this patsy. We're here to learn of who actually killed Regina Harrison and others. His name was Jack Harold Jones, and he'd been about to turn the same age as Regina, 20, back in the spring of 83. Regina had just celebrated her own birthday when Jack decided on her death. Witnesses had seen Regina walking on a boardwalk with a strong-looking, skinny guy with dark hair just before her disappearance. The description matched the Westlake rapist, Ronald Stewart. What didn't match were the fingerprints found on her body. Decades later, these, along with DNA that couldn't be tested in 83, were later confirmed Jack Harold Jones to be the true killer. But wait, here comes a train. And wait as well for this, how rude of me not to properly introduce Jack. Jack Harold Jones was a Florida scumbag. He grew up with a bunch of siblings, one whom would later receive the confession letter regarding Regina Harrison. Jack was a lifelong troublemaker and the type who always had some kind of issue that would bring down his house. It's thought that he possibly suffered from mental illness. He claimed to see things at times, like spiders and roaches skittering around. Jack had drug and alcohol issues and something dark chasing him from childhood. What exactly that was is not clear. It's said to have been physical abuse, sexual abuse, but he's remembered as a dark, disturbed, Hold on a sec, I'm sorry, this fucking train. He is remembered as a dark, disturbed character by all who knew him before he eventually left Florida. 
His dark raccoonish eyes, dark mulleted hair, dark demeanor likely captured sweet, innocent Regina's curiosity. Jack couldn't say why he did it, but these things are always made into too much of a mystery. Jack was usually jacked up on drugs like meth. He also had a mean temper and didn't like being told he couldn't have what he wanted. My guess is that he lured her deep into the woods from the beach where he came on to her, pushed things too far. And when Regina began resisting, he took things all the way. And all the way means something different for killers like Jack. It means rape. It means torture. And the ultimate power move, it means murder. It was something he is thought to have resisted for another decade, though we can't be sure. It seems logical to think that if Jack were willing to confess to one murder after his eventual death in 2017, that he just spilled all the beans right there. What would he have to hide, once dead? And we'll get to it. But Jack is eventually executed for his crimes. I'm kind of saving that piece because it's my favorite part. Kind of like how he saved his milkshake with Butterfinger pieces for last with his final meal. So, why would he hold out? Well, the thing is, Jack Harold Jones was a total piece of shit. His sister, whom he confessed the slaying of Regina Harris to, was the only sibling who'd stuck with him until the end. She'd asked him if there were more, begged him to get it all off his chest. It's possible he gave the first one up as a sick kind of gift for his sister. The only other crimes he was convicted of in life, he had no say in, and how they were found out. Jack was never willing to help solve anything. His passion was with screwing everything up. June 1st, 1991. 32-year-old Lorraine Barrett is discovered beaten, raped, and strangled to death in a Fort Lauderdale hotel room. Lorraine had been visiting Florida from Pennsylvania and had planned on visiting for a week with a friend. But the friend failed to make good on plans the previous night, and Lorraine had ended up drinking with a mystery man at a bar close to her hotel named The Elbow Room. Witnesses would share that the man had tattoos on his arms, barbed wire, some hearts on a fucking uh, wrist, and they were able to provide these witnesses a sketch of the man's face. When the sketch hit the papers, Jack Harold Jones's father suddenly thought it necessary to hand his son some cash, along with a bus ticket to Arkansas, to start a new life. His sister, who would later receive the confession letter regarding Regina Harrison's murder, remembers her father seeing the sketch alongside her and demanding that she never speak of its likeness to Jack, to anyone. Then Jack was gone, back to Bald Knob, Arkansas, and through the magic of storytelling we end up where we started, though a few hours early. We're here to see what that little girl's eye saw in a shocking crime scene photo that inspired this entire episode. Yes, you can find it in the show notes. And yeah, it's bad, but it's worth seeing. Percy. Well, we'll get to what I think of that photo. June 7th, 1995, midday. 11-year-old Lacey Phillips is spending the afternoon with her mother, Mary. Lacey has finished a dentist appointment, and now her mother needs to pop into work for a bit to finish up a few things. They park the pickup truck beside the small town office and head inside around 3 p.m. The two are alone in the office until a shifty-looking man enters. This is 30-year-old Jack Harold Jones, 
Though his birthday's coming up, he'll soon be 31. Guys like Jones always remind others of their approaching birthday. They love being spoiled. They love being the center of attention. It seems Jack is upset by something. He's likely high on meth, which never helps a temper. And he begins ripping into Mary about getting the wrong documents earlier in the day. Mary tries to calm Jack down, but he's looking for a fight. He pulls a gun and tells Mary he has no choice now but to rob her. And here's another little quirk with shitheads like Jack. They can justify just about anything. Case in point, he feels being handed the wrong tax book earlier in the day justifies an armed robbery right now. Another example is that he'll later blame what comes next on the local police failing to handle his girlfriend allegedly being sexually assaulted to his liking. An eye for an eye, thinks Jack. And if that adds up for you, then you must have a crossed eye and the other one must be rolling or something like that. And I don't mean to offend any of my cross-eyed listeners. You know I love those who have their eyes cocked. So Jack pulls his gun. And forgive me, it's early. I know I fucking record some episodes in a screwed up way and uh, today's no different. One Caesar, five cigarettes, one train. Hopefully there's not another one. Jack pulls his gun. It's a BB gun, but it looks real enough to the mother and daughter. He then forces Mary to the floor and by some accounts demands Lacey, the 11-year-old, to lay on top of her while he empties the register. I don't know where this detail of Lacey being forced to lay on top of her mother comes from. Maybe Jack himself. In my research, I didn't come across Lacey claiming this, but she did confirm much of what I have to share. Next, like being ordered into the bathroom, she confirms that she was tied up to a metal chair. You'll recall her wrists and ankles being bit into by tightly wound speaker wire. The same is done to her mother, Mary. And this is when Lacey begins begging the man not to harm her mother. Jack Harold Jones coldly replies that his intent is to harm them both, then begins smashing the 11-year-old over the head with the butt of the metal BB gun. Lacey goes unconscious, and from what detectives later observe of the crime scene, Jack then rapes her mother Mary, anally, while beating her mercilessly. He manually strangles the helpless woman, hands tied behind her back. He is terrorizing her in so many ways, most of all, with the threat that he'll do the same to her daughter. She is likely alive when Jack Jones goes back to the bathroom upon hearing Lacey's cries for her mother. He kicks the door open, then spits vicious, angry words into the little girl's face before strangling her with his hands, then eventually clubbing her over the head again until he believes she's dead. The mother is finished off with the coffee maker cord not knowing what became of her daughter. It's a disgusting crime, an unforgivable act, which he later asks forgiveness for, from the little girl who sits in the bathroom, bleeding from her split skull, vomiting from the shock of the ordeal, weakly calling for her mother as nearly 12 hours pass until she's awoken by the flash of a detective's camera. She looks right at him, at me, at you. 11-year-old Lacey Phillips looks out from the abyss. She doesn't know if she's dead. She isn't sure if the man with the teardrop tattoo is behind the flash. Then the bindings are cut, and the nice man with the mustache is telling her not to worry about mom right now as he leads her out 
to an ambulance. Lacey feels relief as she steps over her mother's arm. She has two days to put anything together. Next is the hospital, and then she's unconscious again for the surgery on her torn open scalp. When investigators get their chance to question Lacey, they are relieved and impressed to find she remembers everything. It's unusual for someone to have suffered the head injuries Lacey had and have such vivid recollection. Apparently Jack Jones had done enough psychological damage to the little girl for his actions to have seeped deep into her memory core. And what a disturbing thought. Sad. Maybe she'd be better off forgetting, some may think. But no, Lacey's determined to remember. She will never forget that face. The one with the teardrop tattoo under the left eye. The one who she will eventually learn had killed her mother. When she begs the nurses to see her and her father is summoned to break the news to her. Him destroyed. Him having to care for another couple of kids on his own. Him sitting by her bedside, his hands clasped in her hands and telling her mom has gone to see grandma in heaven. And Lacey says, okay. Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan, but the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by the language. And that's why I've been going pretty hard at the Rosetta Stone service. I want to be able to take my girl to Japan, a place that she's always wanted to go, and suddenly just start speaking fluent Japanese at the restaurant. That's my goal. <laughs> Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users, 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, there's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences. They have the speech recognition feature, built-in true accent, gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, it's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient and it's an amazing value especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off on limited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Today. All right, everybody, Zipix toothpicks. This is something that I use all the time. So this episode is brought to you by Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great-tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere, without having to rely on smoking or vaping. Zipix toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great, long-lasting flavors, and they have options in two milligrams and three milligrams of nicotine. Zipix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting, uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zipix also offers caffeine and B12 infused toothpicks if you're not a nicotine user or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zipix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zipix, nicotine-infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine-infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. 
Get 10% off your first order by using the code DARKTOPIC at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical. Zip more, smoke less with Zipix. Nicotine toothpicks. All right, everybody, Badlands food. I've been thinking about getting a dog with my little family. We're about to introduce a dog, I believe, at some point here. And I have an interest in how we're going to be treating said dog. And it occurs to me, you know, that many dogs suffer from health issues. And with Badlands food, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. She's looking at their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone could do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. It caught my attention, and as I'm about to uh, get a dog, I think that I'm going to uh, use this service, so I thought I'd share it with the audience as well. Uh, I know many of you have dogs. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash darktopic and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash darktopic to check it out. Badlandsfood.com. Investigators immediately have a suspect in mind. Local troublemaker Jack Harold Jones, who fits Lacey's description exactly. Jack is brought in for questioning, and like Lacey, he surprises them by immediately admitting to the crime. This situation, the initial crime scene that could have proved so perplexing, was cracked wide open when little Lacey Phillips cracked open her eye. In the interrogation, Jack Jones shares that he'd become attracted to Mary during an earlier encounter while collecting a tax form, and had decided she'd be his. He admits that he'd prepared for the nightmare by packing latex gloves, a spool of speaker wire, and a metal BB gun that looked much like a real pistol. The little girl had been a surprise, but apparently not too much of an issue. He'd just kill her as well. He'd just get rid of an 11-year-old girl screaming for her mother like nothing, like a fucking side dish to his final meal. What was his side dish? Oh, yeah, potato logs with ketchup, please. As I've mentioned, Jones would later claim that his reasoning for the heinous crime was to teach the local PD a lesson. He felt they mishandled his girlfriend's rape case, a case she'd nullified by withdrawing her accusations. Regardless, it's a ridiculous, desperate play by Jack Jones. There is footage of him being hauled into court, wild-eyed and in an orange jumpsuit, spitting venom at reporters, claiming himself to be the victim of impossible circumstances, like he had to do it. He'd had no choice, an eye for an eye. My girl got raped. You didn't handle it appropriately. So now I raped a woman and fucking killed her. (laughs) And thought I killed her daughter too. We're square. It's ridiculous. At trial, he pleads insanity, but he struts around proud and dangerous, mean muggy at any given opportunity to catch the eye of a camera lens. 
the evidence is overwhelming. His DNA, an eyewitness, a surviving victim in Lacey, this dooms Jack Harold Jones. He is sentenced to die via lethal injection and is thrown away to Arkansas's death row, where he writes girls and reconnects with family and acts like a misunderstood sweetheart for years. In 2003, his DNA is matched to Lori Barrett, that murder back in Florida, the one at the Elbow Room, uh, the one at the Fort Lauderdale Hotel Room, a case gone cold for over a decade by this point. Jack Jones, now suffering from the effects of diabetes and on his way to having a leg amputated, is brought back home to Florida where he picks up another life sentence, then returns to await his death in Arkansas. Those left in the wake of this Cretan's selfish, disgusting crimes continue over the years to be alerted to stays of execution for an ailing Jack Harold Jones. Generations of victim family become affected by the presence of Jones in their lives. Lacey, the surviving 11-year-old, now you know much older, is severely bothered by it. The fact that he lives, that he exists for years after being proven without a shadow of a doubt to be what he is, is a part of all this we often overlook in other cases. There's no closure until these types are gone. The BTKs, the Paul Bernardos, the Joseph D'Angelos, the Jack Harold Joneses. Get rid of them. If there's irrefutable proof that they've raped and tortured and slaughtered without remorse or mental deficiency, then what are we doing here? Feel however way you want to feel, but know this. The little girl who grew into a woman felt relief once he was gone. She first felt dismayed that he would get a last meal of fried chicken and Butterfinger milkshakes. Then Lacey felt as if she'd been beaten over the head one last time by Jones when he included her in his last words, saying he'd always thought of her as a daughter. Here's Lacey's response to that. This ripped from Discovery Plus, the show Evil Lives Here, Shadows of Death, Season 2, Episode 1, The Girl in the Photo. I wanted to see it happen to make sure it was done. You go 20-something years here and that it's going to happen and it never does. I've been this whole time without my mom and by golly, I'll I wanted to make sure it was done. They gave Jack an opportunity to have any final words. And then he chose to speak. The other thing I want to say is that, you know, I apologize. And I know that means nothing. It doesn't replace personal. He said... something that I feel is absolutely disgusting, but he said, Lacey, I looked at you like a daughter. And I'm sorry I hurt you. I mean, that is so weird for him to say that. What do you mean you looked at me like a daughter? You tried to kill me and you haven't seen me since. You thought you murdered me. And I felt personally that that was just a sick and twisted way to Jack Harold Jones is posed by some as a mentally ill man who is helpless to his demons, born from childhood trauma and being under the influence of street drugs. Protesters to his death penalty only see a soft-eyed, wheelchair-bound sweetheart and shout, How can you kill him? What's the point? What good does it do for anyone? What does it say about us as a society? 
And when his execution is rushed, along with eight other inmates, over the span of a few weeks in late April of 2017, due to the drugs being used for lethal injection approaching their expiration date that they had in their little closet there, anti-death penalty advocates are justifiably agitated. I mean, it really is ridiculous, this drug situation for lethal injection. They should get that right, at the very least. You know, just make some fucking drugs, please. You spend money on all kinds of fucking bullshit. Can't you get just some fucking drugs that work? So that you don't have these people uh, on the other side being like, oh, it's uh, fucking inhumane. Uh, they lay gasping on the table. There's botched executions. Clayton Lockett, who I covered uh, a while ago on Dark Topic, it's like he fucking buried a girl alive. And he gets his execution botched. And all these people come out like, oh, this is fucking inhumane. It's like, oh, my God, that's that's inhumane? That's inhumane. <laughs> I hope they botch every fucking execution. Actually, to be honest with you, it's my favorite part when an execution gets botched. I think that that's that's great. You know what? Keep on letting the drugs expire. Keep on using this fucking half-ass shit. Don't put them in a in a situation where they gotta hang. Don't don't put them in front of a firing squad. You know, don't put them in a gas chamber. Keep on injecting them with half-ass drugs to make them shake and quiver on a table. I'm good with it. I think that's great, actually. I got no problem with it. On second thought. There are some of us that feel that God must be dismayed, shaking his big, white, hairy-headed disappointment when Jack Harold Jones suffers his botched execution and lays gasping on the table, suffering until the dumbass concoction they use finally does him in. And there are others that believe that God, or whatever, has his hands on his belly and is shaking with laughter. Either way, don't grip your rosary too tight over a hunk of shit like Jack Harold Jones. He wasn't too worried about it when he was choking, pleading women and girls to death. An eye for an eye. We act like it's some far-out, ancient, biblical concept, but it's pretty simple, really. Everything in the Bible is like fucking common sense for the most part. It's like, oh my God, would I ever know not to fucking kill my neighbor if you didn't write it down fucking a thousand years ago? (laughs) Okay. Oh, thanks for the heads up. I shouldn't do that. You heard what this pig did. He deserved a slow slaughter. If young Lacey hadn't opened her eye, he would have done it again. It's not that deep. We just need to open our own eyes to what the solution is. Public executions determined by a wheel of death. And that'll do it. Kind of a stupid ending, but I felt myself getting too dug in there, too serious. I try not to have too hard a stance on anything these days. I also don't think it's my place to tell you what you should think. I'm here to tell a story my way. But I think there's too many of us amateur influencers stuffing our half-baked bread into you turkeys. I'm just messing around. I, I'm the turkey. Did you hear that train the whole goddamn time? <laughs> what the fuck, man? Uh, maybe it's meant to be. Jerry, shout-outs. Rise up lights. Razor blades with an Australian accent. Thank you. Carrie Morgan. Thank you, Carrie. Melissa Velasquez. Thank you, Melissa. Miss Morbid, known you to be around a long time, Miss Morbid. Thank you. Hannah Jamison. Jamison is what I'm going to be drinking next. Billy Reynolds, my man. We spoke on the phone, didn't we? Marco Wook66. Thank you, Marco. Speaking of Marco, there's a guy named Moro. It's pretty close. I'm going to be covering it on a new podcast. It's going to be coming out soon. You'll hear all about it uh, probably in the fall. Sam C., my old friend Sam Brandy Nordine thank you Brandy Jennifer Brown thank you Mrs. Brown Kelly Gonzalez 
Appreciate Kelly, Diana, Sigsby, Eleanor, nope, Diana Sigsby, walking na Daniel, McFall. I'm about to fucking fall over this early morning with all this distraction and uh, young alcohol in my young day. That'll do it. Thank you so much for all your support. And I'll see you next time on another episode of Dark Topic. Eyes <laughs> cocked, doors locked. Stay- hey, <clears throat> I just want to say on this that to further drive home my point on 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 Jack here, it's Jack Harold Jones. His backers, his people that say like, "Oh my God, he's changed. He got some medication when he was in prison." And now he's a changed man. He would have never done it if he hadn't been on the proper medication. Get the fuck out of here, man. Here's the th- he's, he's not a great guy. He wrote that letter admitting to his first crime, a crime another man was accused of. He was a piece of shit anyways. He was a rapist and he was already going to be there forever. But he wrote that confession letter to his sister in 2006 after they had a conversation. He held on to that letter until his death in 2017, 11 years later, and then he requested that she only read it a year after his death. And when she opened it up and read it, she was like, oh my God, he killed somebody else. Then she had to send it over to to Florida and let them know, hey, that fucking Westlake rapist isn't the guy who killed uh, Regina Harris, Harrison. He, he was actually my brother. And now you have a family over there reeling. There's... <laughs> They're like, oh, it wasn't, oh, this is what it was. We thought it was this, and now it's that. Why did he hang on to that for so long if he's such a fucking great guy? And the only reason he got uh, convicted of the second murder with Lori Barrett is because his DNA was matched because he was in the system after the final murder of Lacey Phillips and her mother, Mary Phillips. Sorry, Lacey wasn't murdered, but, you know, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, he was very grateful for that because, you know, then he got to see her as a daughter. So all these things that that he he's this this talk that he's supposed to be this great guy afterwards. How fucking great is he if he's holding on to information and using it possibly um, as as like a, a card at some point, if given the opportunity? Who knows how many more he fucking got? I was going to say got rid of, which is a horrible way of saying it, but how many how many more did he kill? I just think it's fucking ridiculous. The the people holding the signs out front, uh, Jesus was executed too. Yeah, he was. But did Jesus fucking strangle to death a bunch of girls? Did he rape them and torture them first? No. Jack Harold Jones did. You fucking idiots. Eyes cocked. Doors locked, stay paranoid. Again, I'll try to stay out of it. I'm just a fucking idiot drinking Caesars at 7 in the morning trying to spit the shit out while a train rumbles behind me. I ordered a Caesar when I was in the States, and they brought me a Caesar salad. It's a Bloody Mary. In Canada, Caesar is, uh, you know, vodka, tomato juice, clam juice. I got a pickle in it. I got a couple of olives with garlic stuffed in them. I got Worcestershire sauce. I got some Frank's Red Hot sauce. I got some pepper. I got some horseradish. And this thing's done a number on me. I'm going to go drink some water and go play with my kids in a pool. Hey, and if you got a problem with me playing with my kids when I might be half buzzed, I don't know. Talk to any fucking dad ever. We get a little buzz when we play with our kids. It makes us more fun. Thank you.